Welcome to episode 32 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore the worlds of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings and Biofit Wellness Concepts. This episode, I'm back in London, UK, talking to the two Italian founders of Matter of Stuff, a furniture procurement consultancy that offers bespoke manufacturing via a network of craftsmen, as well as research and development of new materials and manufacturing processes. My conversation with Simona Alteri and Sofia Stefanoni focuses specifically, though, on the sustainable material side of their offer. It is worth noting that their range goes far beyond that, inspired at least in part by their links to artisans throughout their home country. Here, though, we're digging into the importance of choosing locally produced building materials, considering a material's entire life cycle, and a circular economy approach to repurposing building waste. In terms of specific materials, the juicy stuff, we cover things like sustainable ceramics, clay plaster, live mycelium, recycled glass, biodegradable cork walls, and an ingenious sea stone product made of discarded seashells from the seafood industry. All of this is really just a reflection of the wealth of knowledge at the fingertips that these two young ladies have. And they're now setting their sights on construction materials in addition to interior surface materials. So expect to hear plenty more from them over the next year or so. If you like this type of content, please hit subscribe. You can find Simona and Sophia at matterofstuff.com. My contact details are in the show notes. Adesso basta. Let's get into it. Yeah, so uh, I'm Simona, and um, uh, we're both architects. We set up much of stuff uh, now seven years ago. Wow, uh, time flies. But um, we kind of came from the um, architectural background, working in offices in London, um, uh, such as Acme for Sophia, Heatherwick Studio for myself. Uh, and um, we kind of found a gap in between the manufacturing industry and uh, what is the um, um, the actual uh, scenes of, of the architectural industry. So uh, we are um, defining ourselves as a consultancy for both materials and um, procurement of uh, uh, furniture manufacturing. So um, we are um, actually... Um, trying to fill the gap in between uh, architects, interior designers, uh, and uh, the manufacturing uh, world, really. So are you finding that generally, is it perhaps that architects are focusing on on the big picture and they perhaps have their regular materials, their their go-to materials, that it's easy for them to specify? And in a sense, you're you're trying to propose new ideas or offer, uh, sort of educate in a way, or is it is it really that, that the, the sector has kind of got stuck and you're trying to push it forward. How do you see, how do you see the space now after seven years of business? I mean, we are all very busy and we are all, you know, having very few seconds to make decisions and architects are not different from, from this. They have no luxury to, to take the time and really kind of research and discover new things. So I feel it's not that we are needed to the architect because they are not interested in the topic. It's just the topic has become so complex, so broad. And um, their job has been kind of pushed so much into larger projects and more complex that in a way is required for figure like us to help um, in a way to, to navigate this very complex, you know, 
world of materials and sustainability and and you know new production so i believe you know i think figures like us are needed to sort of guide and sort of speed up the process of new materials to come into into use in projects so how do you how do you see the handcrafted uh, in relation to say industrial production what's how do you see the relationship between the two because there's the sort of the imperfections on the one side that kind of wabi-sabi thing but then in some contexts and you mentioned offices right offices are typically preferring almost an industrial approach to the furniture and, and, and the finishes. So how do you balance those two? Yeah, so uh, we believe that um, uh, we, we wrote a manifesto about perfection, imperfection, and debunking the myth of uh, imperfection, really, uh, because we believe that uh, in crafts, uh, as opposed to kind of industrial um, production, um, the, the imperfection are a symbol of craft and uh, add a, a little value. Um, there, there are two ways of manufacturing items. One is uh, kind of producing um, at a large scale where items are produced in a line. Uh, and uh, in, that, in that case, uh, there is no... Um, the, the items are produced uh, without a real demand, right? Um, what we kind of value, what we kind of uh, promote really is uh, handcrafting uh, and so often like small scale businesses, which are um, very dedicated to really high quality. Um, however, there is a there is a little thing about the, um, uh, the, the manuality, the... the uh, the handmaking um, that goes and adds a little detail uh, and every item makes every item unique. And that's what we value, that's what we um, we preach and that's what we um, we, we take uh, in, uh, in, in highest con- cons- uh, consideration, really. So if we then sort of begin the transition in the conversation towards sustainability, then there's this piece that I, I noticed you're, you've really thought through clearly around your own carbon footprint for the furniture projects that you're involved in. So could you just explain how you've implemented that, how you've integrated this sort of carbon footprint measurement tool into the project management system you have online? Because I, I hadn't seen that done before and it seemed like a, a really obvious and therefore brilliant like concept right so how did you implement it and how has that gone so far for you yeah so for basically for every piece of furniture that um, we sell or we deal with uh, there is a little code that um, a little number uh, that kind of assigns a um, carbon footprint of every object and for when we add up in a schedule all those numbers then uh, we kind of come up with a total uh, a total quantity of uh, carbon footprint emitted and then we try to offset it by um, uh, partnering up with uh, Tree for Life. Tree for Life is actually um, a charity set up in Scotland and um, Scotland was the first place on earth to declare a climate emergency actually so that's why uh, we'll go there and uh, try to rewild the landscape. Uh, having said this I think carbon footprint is kind of at the um, 
uh, is the last resort of, uh, of companies to kind of uh, make a difference. Uh, I think everybody should do it. Uh, all the companies should do it. Uh, however, as influence maker, change maker, uh, we try to go at the root of the program uh, of the, the problem and try to uh, research for what we can uh, the materials that can actually change uh, and transform the industry. Uh, and for this, uh, we have kind of researched a set of materials such as um, uh, recycled um, terrazzo uh, materials such as mycelium, such as expanded cork. Uh, and uh, and we try to, uh, to kind of... Uh, use and promote these materials uh, and the kind of thinking uh, behind uh, the, the building and the construction industry. Um, there, are, there are many ways uh, potentially to, to influence uh, the market in, in kind of changing and, and one is kind of triggering thoughts and like reflection uh, and topics of uh, you know, uh, how, you know, it's anything from furniture to interior design to the actual construction, right? Like there's a, a we can do bricks in, a, in kind of virgin uh, material, or we can do bricks, uh, taking, breaking down an existing building and rebuilding it from the, the materials that uh, are actually used in the in the destruction of the of the actual building, right? Um, I think in in a kind of larger scale uh, of things in the, in the construction, there's a um, we need to start thinking about also uh, delocalizing localizing the uh, the production, so bringing it actually into um, the manufacturing can be shifted in a way that is it happens on place in a way so close to the the construction site and close to the uh, manufacturing uh, um, uh, the, the installation site in a way um, what I mean by this is for example we've worked with uh, recycled plastic uh, okay and uh, recycled plastic is a super interesting uh, concept and idea uh, however um, if it is um, shipped from Italy let's say to uh, Los Angeles uh, in California then it doesn't really become so sustainable what we could do for example is set up uh, a, a sort of a uh, it kind of triggers intellectual property as well and like uh, open source uh, research and kind of uh, go and set up a plant in, in California, for example, and use localized uh, suppliers for, for, that, uh, uh, for that matter. So then, okay, so I'm seeing there's really almost two axes to, to every decision around what material you could use in a project, right? On one level, it's, as you say, perhaps it's a fundamentally a recycled material, but then also where it's produced and the distance it needs to travel to get to the site. Because you're adding, once you can factor in the full carbon footprint or a full life cycle analysis of, of the material, you have to factor in also where it's coming from and where it's where it's going to. So then you'd you'd end up with a okay, well, can you use sustainable materials and locally produced? Is that sort of the the the, the ideal scenario? Yeah, and the final thing that you need to add to that is also the life cycle of a material. So once you finish the project, you're not done at all. You have all this new life of materials that need to be then repurposed from the building that you have completed and has had this long life cycle. So it is about adding a third element to sustainability thought, which is 
how can I then reuse this material that I've used in my project in another project and so on, creating a circular process of reusing all your waste. Because at the end of the day, we don't have only a problem of resources. We only have a problem as a massive amount of waste we are generating. So by kind of shifting the thoughts on these three topics, you can really make the massive differences how, how the interior and sort of architecture is conceived as overall. I think that's a really strong point. I like that. Okay, so if we then go one level deeper and start looking at some of the, the materials, right? I mean, some of these might be familiar to people listening. Some might be a bit, uh, might be new or innovations, but let's start with an, a relatively easy one. So ceramics, you've got some really interesting ceramic tiles on option uh, on display on your site. Generally, how do you see, including some that seem to have like industrial waste made of iron and, and manganese and metal, they, they really caught my attention. Like, how, how do you see them, how do you sort of communicate those to a potential client in terms of why you would use certain types of ceramics or which are maybe um, yeah, more resilient or, or what are the characteristics that define them? So ceramic, it's a very exciting material, I think, because it's been used for centuries. We have so much knowledge gathered around it. And really, I think what we have tried to convey in our selection of ceramics is mainly how can we do it in a more sustainable way so that the impact of an oven at 1,200 degrees doesn't become a problem as a carbon emissions. So we actually selected mainly companies and independents that are trying to use ceramic in an interesting way. So the first thing is we don't have a range or set of ceramic tiles, we only make them bespoke to the need of a client. So we are, now we are not producing in line, but we are actually producing only on demand, which is a massive shift to how ceramic is conceived. This means we don't create wastage because we obviously don't produce more than what is demanded, but also we only turn on the oven when it's necessary, which is another point. And then I think there is... Um, really interesting thing because ceramic is made out of irons and sort of glazing that it's mostly having chemical reaction in the oven and by actually trying to recycle metal waste we are regenerating those 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 materials that are actually polluting the environment into a product that can actually have beautiful color as a normal glazing by reusing something that would be actually poisoning landfills so there are also a lot of other kind of very interesting topics, such as how a glazing in a specific color is more toxic than other glazings. So we try to really guide our client and architect to understand what they are really purchasing and only purchasing what is really necessary. Okay, so two, two questions. One, the, the recycled content is the pigment only, right? The, the ceramic tile is the ceramic tile, then yeah. it's the the glaze on top that contains these other components. And you mentioned there's some toxic elements potentially in other types of ceramic tiles. Yeah, so, I mean, in general, when you when you create tiles, you are having a body of clay that it's the biscuit, let's call it, and you put it into the oven and you fire it. And this is unglazed. And then we use glass and metal particles and pigments to create the beautiful coloring of the surface of the tile. Obviously, there are chemicals that are not natural that could actually be poisoning and obviously we try to avoid those and try to only use things that are you know uh, potentially natural source of coloring 
obviously by using some of these iron and manganese and other metals that were left in the in the landfills we are offsetting uh, the pollution that they would generate and kind of coloring in a beautiful way you know interior tiles so it's quite a nice shift as a mentality and then would you see that as almost part of this a similar family then as your clay plasters and paints because again it's that sort of connection to one of our most ancient building materials, right? Effectively, a form of earth. Yeah, clay and earth is one of the oldest material humans have used. I think the main difference with clay plaster and paints is that you're actually using the clay unfired, so you're not turning on an oven. You are mixing it with different type of pigments or, or you know, uh, silica and things that can create really beautiful coloring and then you're just plastering walls with it. What is also quite important is that clay has um, incredible properties. It's actually an healing uh, material. We use it, you know, as a face mask. We use it as well to cure our sort of joints when they are a bit stiff. Um, so clay has this really strong uh, natural power of healing. And by using it as a natural product on your walls, you are creating a surface that is hypoallergenic but has also ability to regulate humidity inside a room, which is something that is very important for the health of, of, you know, uh, of us humans in indoor. Okay, so that, that's another interesting point, right? Because you know, for, for some of us, we work at the intersection between green buildings and healthy buildings. And I notice in the way you're describing these materials, we're, we're sort of flipping between environmental concerns so what's the impact of this material or product on the planet as in has a, a kiln been fired at 1200 degrees for, for six hours or not what what's the energy impact of that and then on the other side you have the people or like the human angle which is well, what's the health aspect of that particular product right so balancing the two in terms of the impact the material has on the planet but also on the potentially positive impact it can have on on the health of the people spending time in that space. So, Simona, you mentioned uh, mycelium earlier on as well. Within the context of that people and planet, environment and well-being, how does mycelium fit in? Because it's this sort of new material that's suddenly getting talked about so much. Like, what's your what's your take on that and its potential? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a biophilic uh, designer. I mean, it comes, it, there's something interesting in uh, designing with the live material, right? Um, it's, uh, we can kind of uh, plan the outcome uh, and we can kind of control it in a way that uh, uh, it comes to uh, a desired um, um, form or shape or uh, certain performances. Uh, what's great about mycelium is that it's a fungus uh, and it grows uh, by eating some kind of uh, um, uh, organic matter. Uh, and then what we can do, we can stop the growth of the material once it's reached uh, the shape and the performances that we want. Uh, and we can kind of seal it in a way that uh, it stops growing and it, stop, it, it starts actually performing. Uh, but after its life cycle as a, as a building material, uh, for example, if an office needs to be torn down in uh, 
um, in 10 years' time, uh, then the acoustic panel that is composed of mycelium can be taken out of the wall and thrown in compost, and actually it biodegrades uh, with uh, uh, in nature. I think that's something completely beautiful. Um, and uh, and it's new, of course. It's uh, there's so much of this uh, research that it's uh, has been gone through. I think as a consequence of the Greta Thunberg movement, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, people are getting a lot more like aware, and uh, I think governments are investing a lot more into uh, funding and subsidizing also research and design. Uh, and new manufacturing processes that are, um, you know, innovative and have, uh, um, you know, something uh, something new to give to to kind of the construction industry. I think that's great, and uh, it's um, it's the only way forward in a way. In a similar line, then you also have some some recycled glass panels. I noticed there's there's some made in the UK, 100 percent uh, from recycled glass from that location so it's ticking the sort of um the local box if you had a local project in in london or the uk right how 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 might one integrate those glass panels because they look quite they're quite a particular finish right it's not doesn't come out as glass it's 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 transformed into a different type of of material effectively how are you seeing them used or, or uh, deployed um, in interior projects. Have you got any examples of how those have been used perhaps by clients? So recycled glass, it's an amazing opportunity for all of us because glass is, again, we go back to one of the oldest material humans I've actually worked with. Um, most of our recycled glass are taking shape into a pixel, let's call it, that could be repeated, either creating chandeliers or creating sort of new uh, wall systems with other materials, as well as the uh, recycled glass with eggshell, which becomes actually an incredible tool to control acoustic performances into a room. Um, so by actually changing completely the composition, you add the eggshell, and this creates a material that is almost like a pumice stone uh, type of thing. So it's very light, very porous, and can actually trap uh, the sound wave inside in a very, very uh, special way. So we simply use glass as a new material, um, but but in a way we can re-recycle it infinitely because it's only about you know melting again the glass and and sort of keep on adding on it. Also, what is quite interesting about being very local is that you use the glass, the type of glass you have very close to you, so you control the quality of the glass and the colors, and therefore you can start creating patterns and and sort of composition that you know um, are controllable and predictable. Um, we have also created recycled glass reception desk or even tables, which is quite it's quite interesting and and exciting. But we mostly work with designers or private clients that want to are interested in the material, and then we come up with a beautiful design for it. Okay, so we have a couple of of alternative options for acoustic panels with the mycelium and the recycled glass. The recycled glass can also be almost kind of like decorative panels, but and the mycelium I noticed can also be a, a type of floor tile. Talking about the walls, I noticed you've also recently started working with a, a Portuguese uh, cork wool supplier. Corks 
um, that some of the finishes there and the, the designs that they have are really, they're amazing. It's not what you would expect from a piece of cork, right? So from your perspective in terms of sustainability, location, sustainability, what are the uh, perhaps advantages and characteristics of those new cork products that you're working with? Well, I mean, I think the main purpose of design is to innovate and make a material look new and interesting. So what Jankor has, has developed with Cork is, I think, the ultimate design plus onto a material that has been seen and kind of used a lot. So it's quite interesting to work with a Portuguese company because uh, with Cork because they are the biggest, you know, biggest produ- production of Cork in all Europe. And the trees are protected, so they can only harvest cork in a specific way, and they need to ask permission to the government to actually, you know, pick up the bark and produce it. So it's very controlled process, and this is because they don't want to harm ever the plant. Also, uh, by using cork, we are using something that is completely renewable because it's only the, the skin of the of the tree, and therefore it can be constantly grow. So it's harvest every normally six years leaving the tree the time to regenerate. Um, expanded cork is produced differently from normal cork. We use high steam, and this makes the cork pop like a popcorn and expand. And it kind of binds the material together with the resin of the trees instead of using a lot of other product or glue or epoxy resins. So this means, again, our cork panels are 100% biodegradable and organic, and they could be recycled in a new panel. And um, I feel cork is like used for insulation of sods and many other purposes, but has never been pushed into a beautiful material that can be actually a facade or an interior cladding. So the main purpose of this panel is generating a new aesthetic, a new three-dimensional surface, and almost they can be carved as, as a piece of marble, really. So not only becoming a wall, but they could potentially be used even to create bespoke furniture or, or reception desk or, you know, seamless moving from a floor to a wall to a ceiling panel, which is quite exciting, I think, for designers out there. Yeah, it's a really strong example of, of what, what can be done, as you say, taking it in a, in a very new direction as well. And finally, then, I wanted to ask you about the, the recycled sea stone terrazzo that you have, because it just seems to have this beautiful story about the, the tons and tons of discarded seashells. Is that from the, from, the, from, the, um, yeah, from the seafood industry? Is that the story? Have I got that right? Yeah, you've got it quite right. Yes, we basically, it's a project developed by uh, two designers that studied in London. It's a very exciting project where they actually started looking at how the seafood industry is kind of, you know, dumping a lot of this really beautiful material because it's actually calcium carbonate. And we normally feed this into our production by, you know, kind of like seeking it while we are then throwing it away and sort of creating a lot of waste. So by reusing it and creating a composite that is kind of natural, uh, they are generating a new type of concrete they were actually asking a point to try and make this structural to really replace concrete entirely. And it's quite interesting how much ethic there is behind this product because the designer actually don't want this because as soon as you start trying to give more performances in terms of strength, they will have to add heat to the, to the production. And this would take away this 
completely non-toxic, completely like low carbon emission material, um, which I find very interesting because in a way, all our work revolves around one single thought, which is how can we make this material um, cheap enough and sustainable enough to replace terrible materials that we are using. So if we are able to make mycelium uh, a really strong compet competitor to polyurethane, for example, or to, or to a really terrible acoustic panel made out of synthetic fibers, we are really shifting the industry. And we are not anymore forcing people to say, oh, I need to spend so much more money to use this really sustainable material that is then maybe not behaving as I want. We, the real change and real shift into the industry could happen only if we make this product really permeable and easy to use. So ultimately, I think all our work revolve around trying to keep an ethic around what, what these material do and trying really to push them to behave in a way that can replace uh, those terrible materials that we are working with now. And I mean, one thing that I think is important to mention, we have only talked about surface material, which are only probably 10 or 15% of what is used in the industry. But we are working a lot on the back scenes to try and also scout for those materials that could really replace the larger quantities. So how can we do an MDF that is more sustainable or it's completely recyclable? Or how can we replace entirely bricks with a new concept that doesn't allow, doesn't require so much firing? Um, so I think it's an interesting open quest, you know, and we all need to sort of exchange information and, and knowledge. And so that's why I think it's lovely what you're doing with this podcast, like trying to engage people to discover each other. And hopefully, you know, this can lead to, to more knowledge shared among people in the industry. So if we flip that, I love it. It's if we then look at how you're engaging with the market. So we're not like, are you working more at brand level? Are you advising uh, construction companies? Are you collaborating with architects? Like how, perhaps the range of different clients, if you could describe those and how you're uh, delivering your services effectively. Yeah, so we uh, we work with um, both uh, architects and interior designers, and of course, uh, architects and interior designers are, are the change maker. They are the main specifiers. Um, we've worked with contractors before. Uh, we've worked with uh, directly with co-working spaces uh, that have different locations in uh, in London, uh, supplying furniture. Uh, and of course, there's a huge level of research um, that goes through. And for example, for furniture as well, like we've recently introduced a way to browse um, furniture on our website by um, sustainable properties. Uh, say, let's if furniture have um, uh, you know certified wood, or if they're made out of recycled material, if they are recyclable, um, and that's uh, that's all research that we do, and it's uh, kind of at service of the people that uh, um, you know we work with in a way. Um, we believe in kind of free content uh, kind of sharing as much as possible, of course. Uh, London is quite a wild industry, but uh, we're quite generous with uh, our research. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it's... Uh, 
uh, we're open to new collaboration. We're open to private clients as well as, uh, you know, construction companies. Um, and uh, we welcome all kind of, uh, you know, tricky inquiries and uh, new fun ways to, um, you know, just process like, uh, you know, to, to think about spaces and like, uh, uh, and materials really. I love it. Well, look, uh, it's really great what you're doing. I'm a big fan. Um, how can people connect with you? What's the best way for them to, to follow what you're doing and, and access some of that information that you have out there? Uh, just drop us an email. Uh, our emails, are, um, general email is info at matteroftuff.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll get back to you. Um, Instagram is welcome as well. Um, we'll just give us a call. Our uh, phone numbers uh, on our website is uh, com. So look forward to hearing from all of you. Very cool. Well, we'll, we'll add the links in the show notes after this. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Matt.